0: The 45th president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. People are so frustrated in this country. Free speech under fire. They're bringing drugs.
1: How desperate the left has become. How desperate Democrats have become. They're bringing crime. Dissolution of the country.
0: They're rapists. Sever the ties that unite us as a nation. With the challenges and crises that we face right now, this is not the time to divide this country. Hello, I'm Denzel Mitchell, I'm Avery Shivers,
2: and I'm Tahi Wiggins,
0: and welcome to Main Street Speaks, a podcast that discusses rural news, politics, and history from the perspective of three college students from the northern neck of Virginia.
1: Today we're discussing one of the many elephants in the room, the COVID-19 pandemic. For the past six months, the coronavirus has permeated throughout the globe, affecting communities in every nation. I feel like we need a montage for this overview because the past four months have been so unique and strange. Uh, Some refer to it as the new normal, a pandemic that will forever change the world.
2: But before we get into that, here's a quick recap of this week's news.
1: So this past week, Qasem Rashid won the Democratic primary, beating candidate Vanjie Williams. Qasem Rashid will face Rob Whitman this November in the general election. In the Republican Senate primary, Thomas Gade won handily with 67% of the vote. He will face Senator Mark Warner this November in the general election. For an overview of these two nominees, please take a listen to the previous episode of our podcast.
0: Up next, the Colonial Beach School Board recently voted to remove the name of the Colonial Beach football field, which was named after C. Wayne Kennedy, a prominent figure in Colonial Beach who at one point served as the town's mayor. The school board voted to remove Mr. Kennedy's name because in a discussion on Facebook following the death of George Floyd, Mr. Kennedy made several racist and anti-gay comments. It should also be noted that it was a group of local citizens who gathered over 400 petition signatures to remove Mr. Kennedy's name that prompted the Colonial Beach School Board to make this decision.
2: And finally, Virginia is set to enter Phase 3 next week with regards to COVID-19 recovery. Key parts of this Phase 3 plan include the following. Capacity caps for retail and restaurants will be lifted, although social distancing still applies. Entertainment venues can reopen at 50% capacity or up to 1,000 people. Gyms can open to 75% capacity. Childcare facilities will be open, and swimming pools can open to 75% capacity. Face coverings are still required, and teleworking and physical distancing are still encouraged.
1: So today we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and the sweeping implications it has had in every aspect of our society, public and personal health, but also politics, economics, social relationships, trust in institutions, and international relations. In the past four months in the United States, we have seen a rise in anti-Asian xenophobia, national leaders spreading misinformation regarding COVID treatment methods, anti-lockdown protests, congressional legislative action. And we have mourned the hundreds of thousands of deaths throughout the nation and globe. So before we begin an in-depth conversation regarding COVID, let's just talk about how you've been feeling throughout the pandemic and our perception of national response efforts. So how have y'all been handling social distancing, the pandemic, overall in this local community and, and in our daily lives?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been weird. I think we are all... All of us here anyway are you know very socially engaged politically engaged people who have friends and relationships that span the the state and the country and in some cases the globe and it feels weird to be confined to this area while so much else is happening um Mm. in our world and you know, difficult to, difficult to kind of acknowledge that what we are doing is benefiting the world just by staying home. It's kind of this weird cognitive dissonance that by choosing not to kind of engage with society in a way that would endanger others is actually benefiting society. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's an interesting
1: way to think about it.
0: Yeah, and, and just to add to that, um, it's it's weird also because there's not a big outbreak where, where mm-hmm. I am in, in Northumberland County and where you are in in Lancaster, yeah. there's also not that big of an outbreak. So to, in like in the, in my immediate vicinity, I don't see a lot of the deaths, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people sick. Um, you know, a lot of people here are actually just going about their day. And, yeah. and especially, especially recently, since a lot of restrictions have been lifted and it's hard, unless you look at the news and unless you look at news that covers how hard it is in communities where the pandemic has been, um, has had a very negative effect. It's hard to have a clear understanding of how devastating the disease is if you're surrounded by, if you live in an area where it doesn't, it's not very much negatively affecting your community and yourself. I think that's an interesting point though, because
1: living in the same community, but having a father who works in the healthcare system, who works in nursing homes, has been an entirely different perspective on my end, because you know, I see my father comes back, like, from long, long shifts, especially when it was really picking up in the area, or there was a larger fear and planning in regards to COVID, coming back just, like, high anxiety, you know, uh, waking up in the middle of the night. Um, I, you know, I, li- I also listened to a podcast that spoke about, like, medical workers in the industry and the emotional effects that they've had. So, personally, in my end, it's felt it's felt very, very real. You know, when my dad gets home, like, we take we, have clo- we take clothes and we have a towel for him and we put it out in the outdoor shower. Mm-hmm. So, cause if he touches that and infects it, then he comes back in the house, it could be a whole nother like line of, of infection. And I think, especially within, within my family circle or within my social distance isolation <laughs> circle, um, this has definitely been like a high anxiety, uh, like hot topic conversation, even though within our area, this, ur- this, this rural area, it's, it's not as common. Um, but I, 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 say I don't totally know what you guys mean. Like, I feel like this has been a moment in which I can really reflect on how privileged we are to be in, in mm-hmm. a rural area and have access to the outdoors yeah, and, yeah. you know, access maybe to like walking safe places to walk and go to the park or whatever, rather than yeah. being yeah, in like, you know, yeah. having to go to like central park yeah, and just yeah. see everyone there in New York city. So I think I've, i
0: definitely found that to be really helpful. Yeah. The other thing is, um, even though I said that it's hard to see the negative effects because we don't have that many people are sick, is also think about the fact that we don't have a lot of access, to, and we'll talk about this later, but access to medical care where people Mm -hmm. can go get tested. And is there, even though we have low numbers according to the state statistics, are there a lot of people who have disease, either asymptomatic or are showing symptoms and they're not accounted for? So that's a yeah. that's a right. something that I right. also think about is people can become very cavalier because they also see that not a lot of people are sick based mm. on what they see on TV. But are there actually people who, who are sick and we're just yeah. not aware right. of them? Right. I think that's because another, of lack of resources. Yeah. yeah.
1: And just to like close out this point, that's another thing. Of course, we'll be discussing you know testing later on and masks and ways in which the um, the rural area in this community has responded to the COVID. But When you said, you know, people acting much more cavalier about it and having different implications and effects from COVID and, you know, being maybe not as taken as taken as seriously. I'm thinking as summertime comes along, not to blame everything on the come here's, but if (laughs) the owners do enter the the community and, you know, shop in our grocery stores and things like this and that. Uh, what, what would that look like in this area and, and what will that do to like the social and political relations right. in the area as well?
0: Right. But, we should probably put up some type of uh, some gate. Please <laughs> let's <talking> <laughs> <laughs> not get into that. No. <laughs> All right. Bill Barr, we're looking at uh, you. Yeah. Keep it out of the northern
2: oh, neck. Gosh. <laughs> All right
1: so but before you know thanks for sharing but with that in mind like let's take a look at the national statistics and the facts of the, the COVID pandemic.
0: From first dealing with the virus in Washington to seeing larger outbreaks in New York, in recent spikes in Texas, Arizona, and other southern and western states, the coronavirus has impacted the nation at large. As a result of the rampant nature of these outbreaks, the United States has experienced over 120,000 deaths from the virus. This statistic places the U.S. as the nation with the greatest number of deaths and cases in the world. In fact, the country makes up nearly a fourth of cases worldwide. The chilling statistics have raised harsh criticism of the United States COVID response.
2: Yeah, and along with this criticism of the United States response, the virus has led to a re-examination of American institutions as the pandemic has further revealed the inequities present in our systems. Many of the criticisms involve the racial inequities of the institutions as COVID has disproportionately affected communities of color and those who are vulnerable due to previous health conditions. But on a local level, things have looked a bit different.
1: As many experts have warned, despite the inherent distance that those living in rural communities have from one another, rural populations are particularly vulnerable to the disease due to higher rates of chronic medical conditions. Some healthcare officials have warned that they fear hospitals will also be unable to properly handle the influx of patients. Even more so, financial negligence of rural communities from states has experts fearful of rural communities' ability to properly handle the crisis moving forward.
0: As history shows, rural America has faced significant underfunding from state officials for years now.
2: Yeah, and as experts have revealed, COVID is no different. In particular, experts fear that the economic effects of COVID, including a decrease in state budgets, will severely cut already low funding for rural areas. And as the Center for American Progress argues, as states like Virginia face economic turmoil, state funding for healthcare services will continue to be diminished.
1: In addition to this, as many rural advocates have mentioned, among the three federal COVID packages, none of them had mentioned support for rural communities.
0: And this isn't something we're just talking about. As stated by the Center for American Progress, supporting rural areas is not something that should be left only to the states. The federal government needs to directly invest in these communities. The spread of the coronavirus is a national challenge, not one that should be left to states by themselves, as the virus does not care where people live.
2: And this means that already underfunded communities like our own may experience further economic consequences in response to the effects from COVID-19. As we saw on March 18th, the Lancaster County government declared a local emergency as the first case in the county arrived. Since then, there have been over 400 cases in the Northern Neck, with roughly 40 between both Lancaster and Northumberland County. While these numbers are relatively low, experts warn that as the economy reopens, further outbreaks could occur, which would be detrimental to our community, especially considering the vulnerability of older folks and those with chronic conditions. But taking a step away from the statistics, what do you guys think about COVID responses and specifically the effects in rural communities?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean with these statistics we see that rural communities are subject to to multiple vulnerabilities and even just beyond the older age and the chronic health conditions rural communities have to travel further away to Mm -hmm. go grocery shopping or to get other resources and even more so in our area as we previously mentioned there are a lot of incoming folks who like to have houses Mm -hmm. here and who like to visit and our tourism industry is a large part of the economy so we're at this funny place in rural communities where we rely on the summer tourism industry, but we're also incredibly vulnerable population for the coronavirus.
2: Right, and we also rely on industries that really can't be um, can't be undertaken remotely. You can't farm from home. You can't fish <laughs> yeah. from home.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and even then, uh, you know, even though we have some industries where, um, you know are very unique, I guess you could say, in terms of living in rural areas, like you were saying farming and fishing. We also have, you know, industries such as restaurants and retail mm-hmm. businesses. Um, they're small businesses, which, you know, are, are very much being impacted by the a lot of the restrictions that are, are being placed by, you know, the state of Virginia. But um, they're businesses just like those you were find in New York and, and other urban areas where those people who are working there, you know, if they're not working there, they're not getting paid. And, but those people who are working there, um, they're also in danger of being affected by mm-hmm. not only right. people from right. the Northern Nick, but you were saying the outsiders yeah. that come in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have to worry about you know, two different types of uh, situations where, where, because the way our economy is set up, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: And also considering local businesses, you know, we we hear so much about these stimulus packages coming from the federal government and concerning small businesses, you had this Paycheck Protection Program or PPP. Mm. And what we, you know, what we heard is in that first installment of PPP loans, the vast majority of the money went to these larger businesses. Who had experience? Who had certified accountants that were able to, uh, you know, turn in these applications to large banks and therefore get access to the money first? And when you had a limited pool of money, it's those that already have more resources that were able to mm-hmm. get access to that money. And so you had a lot of small businesses in this area, and you know, small businesses in rural communities across the country that essentially were were being limited in getting these PPP funds specifically because they are small.
0: And just along with that, there's a lot of regulations for using those PPP loans mm-hmm. if you want them to be fully forgiven. Right. And one of those regulations is, is that you have to use, I believe it, it was at first initially as 75% of that loan has to be used to pay your employees. And, and the problem is is that there's other expenses that small businesses have to worry about so if they're using they may not need to use 75 percent to pay their employees they Mm -hmm. may be more worried about paying rent Mm -hmm. uh paying for utilities and and other things like that and you know small businesses are in a tough spot because they may not be able to follow that regulation fully and therefore their loans won't be fully forgiven Mm -hmm. uh so that that's a problem that that has yet to be addressed i believe there was there was some type of a decrease. I believe that maybe it was moved down so they only have to use sixty percent to pay their employees. But even then, um, the way the regulations have been set up in Washington, um, it's they've been set up in a way where it almost seems like the representatives in Congress don't really understand what's actually happening on the ground. Right. That's a good right. point. I think that also just goes back to the previous statistics that we showed in regards to
1: the three federal COVID packages. None of them specifically mentioned. Um, uh, rural communities. So it it I think to your point, Denzel, it just seems that these these packages aren't really compatible with the economies that we see in rural communities like ours. Yeah. And it it's not it's not, and that's 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 very confusing for a lot of folks that live in the area and that own small businesses, especially as we get into you know the debates about reopening the economy, and I think the conversation we're having now are. are from, it's the top down, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's how mm-hmm. can our rural community respond to this legislation um, and to other factors. But another conversation we should have is uh, one that's from the bottom up. What can we do to, you know, social distance and stay safe and, and prevent the spread of the coronavirus? And I think with a lot of the misinformation that's been going on during this pandemic, uh, that line between and that expectation has become a bit blurred. And uh, that kind of takes us on to the final part of our podcast, which is the mask off phenomenon.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so among many other politically charged conversations that have been had during the age of the coronavirus, none have been as common as the debate regarding masks. So the mandate on wearing masks in the state of Virginia came after Governor Northam, who's a Democrat, his Executive Order 63, that strongly encourages citizens to wear masks inside buildings.
1: Yeah, and this order was also passed on May 26th amid plans to begin reopening the state. The logic in this order was to prevent more outbreaks as states began to reopen their businesses and economies because, as experts have shown, wearing masks and keeping a socially safe distance of six feet are very effective at limiting the spread of the virus.
0: This conversation regarding masks has been debated frequently throughout our communities and it seems that there is a serious political divide in the debate as well. Even more so, understanding the previous statistics regarding the vulnerabilities of rural areas, it would be expected that people would be keen on wearing masks. However, as some have argued, the low number of cases in the Northern Nick has been a justification to not
1: wear a mask when in public. Yeah, and so I think with this thought in mind and this you know, mask off phenomena, what patterns or behaviors have you all seen in your daily lives here in the northern neck and, and what do you guys make of it?
2: I think it's it's definitely very interesting, you know, on in rural areas there I think is a tendency for people to be somewhat insular and kind of and I don't mean that negatively, like it's it's the nature of the area that it is a very individually focused area. You know, you're you're focused on your family, your business, um, just because there isn't a lot of presence from the the outside world. That's why some people love coming here Just to visit. Mm. (laughs) Um, but when you have this phenomenon where, you know, in one of the counties on the northern neck, there's only 10 cases. And so taking that statistic and trying to like implement that knowledge in your own life and saying, look, like the, the chances that if I go, if I go outside, I likely will not come into contact with someone with COVID, you know, it makes sense that you wouldn't wear a mask if you go under that line of thinking. And so wearing masks like it it requires this kind of worldly empathy to understand that this is not just something that exists in our community or doesn't exist in our community like wearing the mask is this action where you're contributing to the social collective and I think when you live in an area where politics are so focused on the individual and on the local small level Mm. it's hard to have that kind of worldly consciousness because it's just not the kind of paradigm that we're that we're conditioned in
1: i think that's a like a a fantastic point because even thinking about like rural consciousness and the idea of the dynamic the power dynamic between you know the government up in richmond and our local community Mm -hmm. the idea and concern about the pandemic and trust in state government responses continue to strongly be tied to partisanship what studies have shown is that particularly republicans who get most of their news from fox news are more likely to trust the federal government and less likely to think that returning to their pre-coronavirus lives tomorrow is a major risk. While Democrats widely distrust the federal government and they're more likely to trust governors and believe that returning to the normal right now, as many have argued, is a huge risk.
0: But mm. well, this is kind of a step away from that but is gonna to have to do with it is, is just the, the fact that a lot of people like Tahi was saying and you know, connected to what you were saying as well, Avery, A lot of people in this area not only are looking at more conservative news sources Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't they don't see the pandemic having a negative effect in the area. So, you know, they see those things and they and they don't worry about wearing a mask. They don't worry about social distancing. And not only that, but they 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 attack, you know, Mm -hmm. people such as the governor or even individuals, not physically that I heard of yet, but at least, <laughs> yeah. at least you know, whether it's online or they look at you funny if, if you're wearing a, a mask, you know, exactly. if you're trying to follow these social distancing measures, they, they, they look at you differently. And it's interesting because the question is, did Virginia go too far in placing restrictions or mm-hmm. did we do just enough? And people aren't seeing the negative effects, but that's only because yeah. we actually did put these restrictions in place. Mm-hmm. Because I see a lot of people making the argument that, oh, Virginia you know, went too far. We're not we're not doing that bad as a state now. You know, we're not mm. like Florida. We're not like California um, in terms of the amount of people we have infected. And so they're like, well, maybe we don't need to wear masks. Maybe we don't need to social distance. But you got to think, isn't that because we actually did take these yeah, precautions? Yeah, right? it's, like, it so, it's still
1: around. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: still here. Right. So it'll be interesting to see as we continue to open up, are there going to be more people that get infected in rural areas? And the bad thing is, like some people talk about like herd immunity Mm
2: -hmm. our community
0: hasn't been exposed
2: particularly because you know the nature of our area our health system is just um you know it's pretty small it's pretty limited in Um, many of the counties on the Northern Neck, there is no hospital in the county, which means that to get to a hospital, it's, you know, a half an hour to an hour's drive. And that hospital will only be able to accommodate a few people. So if we do have the kind of outbreak that we saw, for example, in the Tidewater area around Williamsburg at the very beginning of this pandemic, you know, it's it's quite worrying to imagine what that might look like in a community where the health system is so sparse.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think, like... When both of you guys are speaking, I, I, I'm thinking echo chambers because mm. when you have uh, rural communities engaging in more conservative news outlets and going outside, stepping out their door, and saying, "Well, there's no COVID cases here. I don't have much to worry about," like others do in New York, it's creating a sense of it's it's creating a sense of ease and and mm. relaxation rather than a sense of urgency in the area. Yeah, and I think this represents a kind of a cultural and political shift especially in regards to, you know, wearing masks. I, I have a friend who was visiting family um, in North Carolina and she flew from New York to North Carolina. And she said the first thing she noticed when she stepped out of the airport in North Carolina was the lack of people wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like she was in a, a, a rural area either. She was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So mm-hmm. a place with, you know, a large amount of people, comparatively to here at least. and. Even I've read an article in the New York Times talking about going to Nashville, and this was like two months ago, and there was no one wearing masks. So I think there is this, you know, we like to call it like the politicization of the mask, like dun-dun-dun, you know, it's like (laughs) this intense thing. Yeah. Um, And I I think it's just really interesting to to view that in this area. Like, have you guys noticed that those kinds of anecdotal evidence of of this kind of conflict?
0: Yeah, I would say that for the most part, at least for the places that I've been inside, a lot of people have worn masks. Well, if you want to break it down racially, I've seen a lot of African Americans wearing mm-hmm. masks. Yeah. Um, usually, when I see someone not wearing a mask, uh, they're Caucasian mm-hmm. um, and usually and, young
2: as well. You know, you yeah. Have, yeah you people, have a yeah. lot of elderly white folks in this area, and you know, obviously, they're more vulnerable. So, I, in my experience, um, they've usually been wearing masks as
0: well. Yeah. yeah, they've been. Yeah, yeah. Should have pointed that out too. So, so like the younger demographic. Is more cavalier and that may be because you know we're told consistently that that well at least initially you know we were told that it's not gonna affect us as bad as older people mm-hmm. and the thing is though is that if we get it then we could pass it on to right. our parents right. Our right. and parents, you go back parents, to right. this right.
2: idea of empathy yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah so I think just anecdotal though uh, I don't know when I've seen people have, done, have been doing pretty okay at least mm-hmm. inside but then again, I don't know what's going on everywhere, and I have met people who are more cavalier, like I was saying mm-hmm. earlier, and they're not wearing masks. The, the thing is, you know, will it matter, will it matter if you're talking about if some people or most people wear wearing masks and some people aren't? Is it, is it a, a fact that if a lot of people wear wearing masks, it will stop the spread? Or is it a fact that as many people can wear masks as they want, but if like 10% of the population decides not to, is that, are they going to have more of an impact, if you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I, I take your point there and sort of like examining the futility of individual actions. But, you know, if if you get infected and say you, you know, infect four people, those four people go on to infect 16 people and on and on and on. <clears throat> yeah. um, you know, if one of those people is wearing a mask, you have, um, you have the opportunity for exponential growth of those infections to completely be eliminated. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, this is a case where, Individual actions can contribute a lot to the collective, because not only are you limiting the possibility that you might catch it, um, you're limiting the possibility that you might pass it on to others who would pass it on to others, and you're also showing solidarity with the community and saying, you know, I am taking part in this community effort to try to stop the spread.
1: Along with wearing a mask is, don't touch your face a lot. Either, right, you yeah, know. it acts yeah, as a preventative
2: measure just for yourself. Exactly,
1: as well. yeah, it acts and, and access that preventative measure most definitely um, and it, it is the the surest step that we can take to prevent right, inf- it, right. to prevent infecting right. others and being infected right um,
2: it's not a it's not a cure-all but it's better than nothing
0: oh yeah, yeah. most definitely yeah. completely agree with that i was just i was just thinking <laughs> mask,
2: people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. not, not only for you but for others yeah, yeah exactly
2: one other thing that I, I want to ask you guys about is this idea of a rural consciousness. People, especially around here, are really proud of where they grow up, where they come from, and I think part of that comes along with this idea that, you know, like, we can beat the virus, like, you know, we're we're tougher than this, we can do this, and, like, I'm not going to wear a mask because, you know, I'm, like, northern neck strong, and, you yeah. know, like, we don't need to. <laughs> do you guys think that's that, that has been, a, you know, a, a influential factor in all of this?
0: You know... I don't know. On the, on the one hand, if you talk about rural consciousness, consciousness people generally care about other people in their community. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. seen that, like I think Bay Aging, they care for older yeah, individuals, long-term, living. Yeah, long-term care facility. They have done something amazing where I think they at one point they were delivering 14,000 meals a week to mm-hmm. people who are vulnerable to the virus. So on the one hand, yeah, people are stepping up and helping. Um, You would think that would translate to, okay, how else can I protect my community? Well, I can wear a mask. Mm. You would think it would translate to that. I think it may be a fact of um, there's a lack of leadership in in doing that. Mm. Like, for example, Bay Aging is a a well-known business in the area, and I could see how them donating 14,000 meals would probably prompt other people to go help out because they have a lot of volunteers who do that. But if we have, for example... If you want to look at the national level like a president that people see on t v who who doesn't wear a mask, who doesn't really talk about wearing a mask and and maybe these people are listening to the president more than the governor um, because the governor is trying to stress these things, maybe that's kind of I guess distorting that that idea that I should protect my community this is my community, and I want to keep things good here, so I should also take precautions mm-hmm. myself so i it's it's uh it's conflicting in a sense yeah yeah. yeah. I think I think this entire conversation is just like it's
1: incredibly fascinating because, you know, the coronavirus, you know, just the other day, there was the largest number of cases in one day. Yeah. um, So we're continuing to see more and more outbreaks as economies and businesses reopen. And, you know, I it's we're, we're not sure what to expect in the coming months regarding COVID in the area. We know that schools will plan to reopen in the fall. But it will be interesting to see how administrators and county board of supervisors mm-hmm. and, and other local governments respond to the state mandates and in, in regards to things like masks like will students have to wear masks at school and I'm sure there's an answer for that and I'm sure there will be an answer for that soon.
0: Well, just on the topic of masks, the I think it was Middlesex the Middlesex uh, board of supervisors they had a big debate of whether whether or not to recommend or mandate that people wear Mm -hmm. masks they eventually went with the recommendation Mm -hmm. because many people are more in favor of that yeah so you have that but then i was i was also reading about a school board that was meeting i believe you know i don't want to cite the wrong school board but it was a school board in the area um in in the northern neck and they were talking about not mandating kids to wear masks because they Mm -hmm. didn't want to have to pay for providing them because one of the things is is that there's a lot there is um a lack of tax revenue compared to previous years and schools don't have as much money as they as they would have but no final decisions have been made yet i think schools have to have a final plan 15 days before opening which gives Mm -hmm. schools and areas around around a month to to plan um and hopefully they they'll get more funding because you're going to need more money if you're going to do cleaning deep cleaning mask and things like that you're going to need more money not less of it so right so uh, yeah it's kind of a
2: um a double whammy because you know rural areas as we mentioned at the top of the episode. They're regularly underfunded anyway, and now there's even less state revenue, so it'll be even more underfunded, which makes it more difficult to contain outbreaks. So we will see what happens with
1: that. It's a big like, political theory kind of discussion, too. Like, what does being free mean? And, you know, you see a lot of, you know, the difference between a recommendation and a mandate. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of libertarians and, and, you know, traditional conservatives in particular might be fearful of the idea of, being forced to wear an article of clothing during this time. And so it's, it's, all, very, it's all very interesting. It's a, it's a complicated topic as well. But I think that kind of sums up our discussion regarding, regarding masks, regarding rural communities in, in our area. And I think the thing that I've been following most off is, you know, listening to experts, listening to government officials, and, and people who have these, these groups and officials and, and uh, scientists all around them Um, kind of informing them as to what the situation is and but that takes that takes a a level of trust in government as well Mm -hmm. it also
0: depends on what officials you're listening to that's true and what scientists you're listening to. that's very true that's very
1: true you know it's definitely not a not a black and white issue it's not good or bad but
0: that's good that you've been (laughs) listening to the ones (laughs) yeah that that i think are the most helpful yeah
1: (laughs) so i have as well All right, so um, for final thoughts on this episode, uh, first off, thank you guys for listening. Um, For more information, you can go to the podcast app to listen to previous episodes, uh, previous discussions. But the final thoughts for this episode we have are the European Union earlier this week recommended mandates that would essentially bar United States citizens from traveling to nations within the EU.
2: This recommendation was seen as an international response to the high number of cases within the U.S.
1: More interestingly, however, is the dynamic in these recommendations reveal about EU separation of authority. And while the European Union is a governmental organization that includes 27 nations, they can only recommend laws and mandates, but they cannot implement them as a governmental body.
0: Instead, it is the individual nation's responsibility to review the EU's recommendations and make a decision as to whether or not they choose to implement them as law.
2: Yeah, so we can see this phenomenon play out in countries like Greece which is especially dependent on revenues from tourism and they may actually buck the EU's recommendations and choose to open their borders to tourists from the US.
1: The question is then, how will these nations enforce their own borders, which are usually subject to passport and border check free travel? You could compare this regulation to recent regulations restricting travel between states like New York and Florida.
0: In short, This relationship between the EU and its nation states reflects a confederation-like dynamic in that the majority of power is given to the countries within the EU rather than the European Union itself.
2: This dynamic is not dissimilar to that of the United States, where individual states continually try to assert their power from the federal government.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening today. Again, this is Main Street Speaks. I'm Avery Shivers.
2: I'm Tahi Wiggins. And I'm Denzel Mitchell. We'll see you next time.